Hello and welcome to Will We Make It Out Alive with Amy the Poop Detective and Jen the Magical Mapper. For episode two, we're going to be talking all about number two, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things. It's very near and dear to my heart. Obviously. I actually, I've been a poop detective, so... In this episode, we're going to learn about why you may want to think twice before sticking your hand in that clear water, pooping activities in the Puget Sound, and how we use GIS to map potential sources of poop. Yay! It's mostly about poop. So if you know me, you know I might enjoy this episode. No, you're going to hate this episode. For this episode, we consulted with Mr. Floaty watched some videos on YouTube, and read a few news and science articles. Basically, we're experts on this fecal subject matter. Gross. I've also been a poop detective for like 17 years, so like expert style. Yeah, you are an expert on poop. It's a badge of honor that I wear. Mm-hmm. Hey, Amy. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to Victoria with my sister? Yeah, like a million times. Whatever. Well, I want to share the story with our listeners because I'm the best storyteller. I'll be the judge of that. So I went to beautiful, proper Canadian Victoria with my sister and brother-in-law. How's so, your sister going to feel about you telling this story? Uh, well, I'll just uh, call them C&P to protect their identities. Nice. <laughs> I've been there a couple times, but they had never been there, so I was playing tour guide. Did you see any cats while you were there? Uh, no. Uh, whatever. Anyway, back to my visit. So CNP had a tradition they were trying to start, which was to dip their hands in the ocean or sea in every country they visit. I should also mention that both my sister and brother-in-law are crazy germaphobes, like extreme style. So I'm not sure why they chose to use this as their new tradition, but they're such germaphobes that they won't even touch a salt shaker at a restaurant without putting a napkin between it and their hand. So they're, they're, they would take their public health uh, very seriously. Very way more seriously than needed, probably. But no one will ever know who I'm talking about. So anyway... They were tired because I had made them walk all the way out to Craig Derrick Castle one day, which was like a mile walk. It's not that far, and it almost killed them. So they didn't want to walk all the way to the Strait of Juan de Fuca for the dipping of the hands. Probably a good thing. More on that later. Instead, I took them down to the harbor in downtown Victoria, and we laid down on the dock where all the little cute water taxis tie up after doing their little water taxi loop-de-loop dances. Aww. They're so cute. I know, right? So we all lay down, we dipped our hands in the water, and as soon as they dipped their hands in, I was like, oh, hey, you guys, did you know that Victoria just like dumps their poop right out into the the sea? Uh, They don't, I think they like strain it, but they don't treat it at all. They just like shoot all their uh, wastewater straight out. Whack fact, Victoria does not provide any treatment to their wastewater outside of screening the solids from the liquid. The solids are not discharged out to the marine water, but all the liquids are. Uh, They call this primary treatment, even though it's not really treating the waste, more like just removing the solids. Well, I mean, at least the solids aren't going out there, I guess. True, because they're mostly bacteria. Yeah. Live and dead. Whack fact, 
your poop is about 75% water. (laughs) So after I told them this, they of course completely freaked out and we had to go immediately back to the hotel so they could like, I don't know, burn their hands or something. So I'm sure after all of that, they were thinking, will we make it out alive? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is really interesting that they would pick the dipping the hands in the water with being the germaphobes. Do you think maybe they reconsidered that tradition after their experience in Victoria? That's a good question. I'll have to ask them. I never actually thought about it because I'm not a germaphobe. (laughs) Speaking of sewage... Do you know about our friendly neighbors to the north in the Victoria area? Victoria happens to lie approximately directly north of Roseburg, Oregon, and directly west of, say, Minot, North Dakota. I mean, that's super rando, but what's even more rando is I've actually been to both of those places. (laughs) Really? Quite recently, I just went to Roseburg. Oh, hey, me too. uh, We got stamps for our McMinimins passport. Mm. So I totally can figure out where Victoria is based on those two other landmarks. I'm just drawing the the lines together and Uh teeing it right up. But other people might not really have an idea of where you're talking about. It's like kind of uh, not directly north or west of any major place, but it's directly north of Port Angeles, Washington, and it's west of San Juan Islands. That's interesting that Port Angeles and Roseburg line up, right? I just My blew Amy's mind. Was, was totally blown, <laughs> like for real though, because I literally was just in Roseburg. And in my mind, it's like mm-hmm. way more to the east than Port Angeles would be. Nope. Way more. Directly in line. Way. Yeah. I'm not even kidding you. Hours to the east. Mm, no, it's more like hours to the south. That's so weird. (laughs) Anyway, Victoria is a metropolitan area that is home to over 400,000 Canadians. Wozers. Right? And they're known for their love of all things maple, hockey, and geocortex. Eh? What is a geocortex? Uh, It's an awesome GIS software company. Don't worry about it. Mm, That's about as random as cat facts. Yep. A few other facts about Victoria. It is known for its annual flower count since the 1970s. So last year, over 3.4 million blooms, more than there are people there, were counted in Victoria. And it's also known as the Garden City for its mild climate. Uh, That's like a lot more blooms than people. I mean, a couple, like maybe like 10 times more. Yeah, okay. Somewhere in there. Somewhere between (laughs) six and 10 times more, I'm pretty sure. 300,000 to 3.4 million. 400,000, I think. Oh, whatever. I remember the fact I just said. I totally know these facts. I just don't know math. It has the oldest Chinatown in Canada and the second oldest in North America behind San Francisco. Fascinating. Yeah. Chinatown boasts the smallest alleyway in Canada. And Amy and I have narrowly fit through it. Wait, is that where we got lammy hands? Yes. Oh my goodness. The most amazing mitten lamb Uh hands. And there's a song. Maybe one day (laughs) you will have access to the video of me singing the lammy lamb, lammy hand song with Jim Smith. It's kind of amazing. I think we were actually on our way to the (laughs) castle. (laughs) What was that? I think you heard me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we were. It's known as uh, one of the best cold 
cold water diving destinations on Earth. Ooh. You like that, Amy. You like to dive. I really like to dive in feces. <laughs> it's also just a quaint little Victorian city. Mm, but do you know how they poop? Mm, probably like everyone else. Uh, yeah. But did you know that they are the last major coastal community in the U.S. or Canada discharging untreated sewage into the marine environment? Seriously? Seriously. That's disgusting. Wait, does that mean that Victoria's pooping on us? Uh, kind of. I mean, it's released up there at the island, and then it gets kind of mixed about, and some of it shoots out the straits, and some of it <laughs> shoots into Hood Canal and the Puget Sound. So basically, Victoria and the nearby suburbs currently release millions of gallons <laughs> a day of untreated sewage into the Straits of Juan de Fuca. Uh, there's fast-moving current that goes through there, so that probably does help disperse it a little uh, bit. I guess. Dilution is the solution to their pollution. <laughs> they basically just screen that waste and then release it out into the Straits. And, you know, pretty much full of human pathogens, personal care products, and any other waste that are inappropriately put down the drain. I mean, this is basically anything anyone puts down, you know, sink drain, a toilet, the bath, it just ends up out in the straits. So, and the outfalls where it comes out at, they're a little over a half mile offshore, and they're in about 150 feet of water. So, you know, they're not right next to the surface. The likelihood of your sister's hand actually touching poop was fairly low like she's probably safe but yeah but it's fun to tease them well mostly that yeah now she's gonna be on to you oops <laughs> whack fact wastewater treatment plant outfalls are the place where the liquid part is discharged mm. victoria pumps its raw screen sewage out to sea via two large pipes called outfalls check out our website for a link to some video taken near the outfall also, it doesn't sound very proper or environmentally friendly of them. I thought they were like a real proper society. Right? It It is surprising to me, and it's very surprising to me that it's taken them so long to decide mm -hmm. to address this issue. I mean, it's expensive, so I understand that part of it. But the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets. So right. You're not like getting cost savings by putting something off that you know you're going to do. Right. And it's actually been quite a long road for them to get to this point. Since at least the 1970s, people have been trying to get Victoria to deal with its poop. Meanwhile, Washington State mandated the treatment of all wastewater prior to discharge to Puget Sound about 30 years ago. In the 1990s, Seattle actually organized a tourism ban on Victoria because of their lack of poop treatment, which I think is pretty <laughs> well, forward thinking of them for the 90s. But why did it stop? I'm not sure. Huh. That is a good question, Jen. should Google that. You should probably find somebody to Google it for me. Uh, that's a good point. Hey, Bixby, or whatever your name is on my phone. <laughs> I don't know how to use that. Just kidding. Anyways, then in 2014, our uh, Governor Inslee actually scolded Victoria again for continuing to harm our shared water quality. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself no. here. Whack fact. Neil Armstrong not only left footprints behind on the moon, he left four bags of poop. What? Right? What the heck? Leave no trace, man. Dude, for reals. Yeah. That's so in a pro. Right. He he probably lives in Victoria. I think he's dead, actually. I'm about to go um, poo detecting in space. <laughs> yeah, you should. And find those turd bags 
and then I'm going to find who made those turds, and then I'm going to rectify mm. the situation. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so anyways, they were going to keep pooping for another 25 years. That would have taken us to about 2030. I mean, I hope they allow them to always keep pooping, but not like directly into the... Boring. But it was actually when that announcement was made that there was actually people within the city that just were fed up and they decided to get together and take some actions, mm. some fecal actions. Ooh, They're pretty much my favorite citizen group ever in the world. Interesting. And I'll tell you why. Why? They were the people opposed to outfall pollution. Huh. Otherwise known as poop. <laughs> I want to be part of a group called poop. Uh, as a poop detective. Obviously. It would be amazing. Oh my God, that's so amazing. The goal of poop was to keep things fun while raising awareness about the stinky sewage habits of the city. So they had to kind of try to find different ways to keep it fun and humorous one way that they kept it fun was to solicit the help of mr floaty a seven foot tall turd costume their inspiration for the idea was the character mr hanky of south park fame terry byman built the costume and the movement was born james swark wore the costume 99 percent of the time but a few other people got in on the turd action nice mr floaty was officially born on April Fool's Day, 2004, at the University of Victoria, where Poop held its first public meeting and began enrolling volunteers. From there, Mr. Floaty appeared in many events, including parades and other outdoor events. He also has several videos up on the YouTube, which I recommend you check all of them out. They're quite entertaining. He hmm. even gets married in one of them to the the plastic, plastic bag, bag princess. princess. Something, I can't yeah. remember her mm -hmm. name, though. You'll have to check out our website uh, to help yeah. see what we're trying to not remember. Uh, mm, you guys should Google that for us. Yeah, you should just Google it for yourselves. Mm -hmm. By 2006, it looked as though Mr. Floaty's work had been completed and he would return to the sea for one last time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> In 2007, the British Columbia government ordered the city of Victoria to come up with an acceptable plan to treat their wastewater. But then infighting between the various municipalities in the area resulted in the project being further stalled. Ugh. After they had already done all the scoping, they had like architectural designs, they had done all of this planning on it. And the one jurisdiction who was supposed to house the wastewater treatment plant was like, no, we're not going to do that. And just the whole thing fell apart. So, huh, that's whack fact. <laughs> uh, did you know that ancient Egyptians used a mixture of crocodile poop and honey as a form of birth control? Uh, no. Did you get any more whack fact information around what the thought process behind that was? Well, they kind of like mushed it all together and used it as a diaphragm. Oh, fascinating. Mm -hmm. Really good whack fact, Jen. <laughs> really good research you did for this episode. It got stalled again. 2014, Governor Inslee uh, threatened another boycott of travel and tourism to British Columbia and said bad things about them. <gasps> Finally, in 2016, the plan was completed for the construction of the McLaughlin Point Wastewater Treatment Plant. 
Finally. And then in 2017, they broke ground. Hmm. So they're still going to discharge out to the straits, but now the wastewater treatment project will provide tertiary treatment. Whack fact. Tertiary treatment is one of the highest levels of treatment and will remove more contaminants from the wastewater than primary or secondary treatment. And it includes uh, removing things like organics, nutrients, pharmaceuticals, hormones, microplastics, and viruses. And that's what Victoria's uh, new treatment plant's going to have is tertiary treatment. Uh, secondary treatment is the biological degradation of contaminants in the wastewater. Who even knows what that means? Right. And we already said that, you know. Don't repeat it again then. Whatever. Also, the new plant should have a 90 to 95% removal rate for pharmaceuticals and other toxic inorganic chemicals that are not good for our fish, wildlife, and environs, and peoples, and other things, and orcas. By the time the facility is finally online, it will have been over 16 years since Mr. Floaty was first spotted coming out of the water. Again, video link on our website. Huh. Which makes me sad. Mostly because how can 2004 be 16 years? No, 2002? 2004. I'm checking my facts there. Yeah, 2004. Is that math right? Oh, by the time it's done. Right. Yeah, okay. It is. Yeah. Good thing I can think on the fly and read <laughs> and do other stuff. And do math. Mm-hmm. So it's scheduled to be in operation by the end of 2020. And... Hmm, that's still a couple more years away. It's a year, two years away. So I said a couple years. Math is difficult, <laughs> Jen. <laughs> Unfortunately, even with this very expensive, the wastewater treatment plant is going to be almost $800 million. Ha! Huh. Well, that's because um, I waited so long. Right. Uh, due to the existing pipes and cross connections with stormwater, the system will probably go into bypass mode during every heavy rain event until no. Victoria can also repair the pipes and separate the rainwater from the poop water. Oh, no. This work is estimated to be complete by 2030. So, Victoria is going to keep pooping on us for a few more years. Uh, well, at least they're working at, on it. Wow. Well, we look forward to the day when Victoria finally cra- caps its outfall. <laughs> I hope they crap their outfall pipe, too. Will Mr. Floaty make it out alive? Not if he gets flushed after the new wastewater treatment plan is online. Just for fun, we asked Mr. Floaty if the new treatment plant would be a good place to hide out in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Surprisingly, or perhaps not so surprisingly, he said it wouldn't be his first choice. <laughs> Would it be a second choice? <laughs> uh, so not surprisingly, I'm feeling the need to drop some GIS facts all of a sudden. So Amy, you have had uh, some personal experiences with using GPS to collect location information and map potential poop sampling locations. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got into using GIS since your background is more environmental than mapping. I like how you're like, I feel like I need to drop some GIS facts all of a sudden. And then you basically are just going to ask me questions to talk about my experience. Well, well played. I just want to talk about GIS. Oh, 
So, um, back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but one day I took a class when I was in college, like a long time ago. What are you singing? Back in the day. I don't know that. This is probably because you haven't listened to music for at least a hundred years. Oh, probably. Mm. I I did take a few classes that had uh, GIS components when I was at Evergreen. We did cool things like uh, we did some 3D modeling and mm. analysis to identify the best place to put a parking lot up at Mount Rainier at the base so that they could hmm. run a shuttle bus up to the top and have less people parked up at the visitor's center up top. That place is busy. Because of the environmental impacts of all those cars driving up there and then just having the parking oh. space for them. That was least likely to be impacted by a lahar. And also looked out hmm. for other sensitive areas like wetlands and creek buffers. Interesting. So if there was a lahar, would... Lahar! All, would all those people that parked in the Lahar free zone be able to get back to their cars before they died from the Lahar? No, but they'd probably be up at the visitor center, so they wouldn't die from the Lahar either. They'd just be stuck on the other side of a washed out bridge. Oh. Acceptable. You'd only die from the Lahar if you were in the water over the, the bridge during the actual Lahar. Or if you're in the or like, if you valley there. Drove even though the bridge was no longer there because the lahar had already happened and mm. you just drove right into the water. Those would be ways that you would still... Or if you were hiking down there. Oh, yeah, that also. Yeah. Yes, but you have to be low first and foremost. Right. Below the lahar. Gotcha. I digress. I got to do some heads up digitizing. Heads up. That was super fun. Kids these days, they probably don't know about that awesomeness. Yeah. But back when we had all these paper records, we had to do amazing things. And GIS was not as easy as to use as it is now. Like That's true. So when I got out of college back in 2002. When's that? A long time ago. Huh. AKA, I've been doing this for a while, but not, not as, as long, long as, as me. <laughs> when I got out of college, though, like, the real world wasn't really quite up to speed yet. Like... Many places, the county government where I first worked didn't have a lot of baseline and background data available. They didn't even have a complete parcel area. So that would have made data collection a lot more dynamic. They didn't even have like all the cool base maps that just come standard with Esri now. Hmm. I really did start out as a poop detective though. Really? Really. I would walk around the shoreline and collect samples from upland freshwater as it flowed out to the marine shoreline. And those samples got evaluated for fecal coliform. Whack fact. Fecal coliform is an indicator bacteria. Mm. When it's found, it indicates that there's untreated waste from warm-blooded animals such as humans, dogs, cows, poop machines, oh, I mean, Canada geese, and other birds. <laughs> so we did collect GPS points with little handheld Garmin units, and then I would actually supplement that information with very amazing hand-drawn maps. I wish I had some copies of those maps right now that I could like post up on the interwebs and show you guys what an amazing artist that oh, I am. I'm sure they were so amazing. Yeah, I'm not an artist, so they were really <laughs> pretty like little squares. And then we would have like the color of the house on the outside, and then you'd have to like keep your fingers crossed that nobody painted because you Ooh. couldn't actually see the site numbers because you know the site numbers are on the road side of the houses, and we're walking on the shoreline side of the houses, so mm -hmm. we'd you know, didn't really know what, where we were. 
<laughs> and then we'd have to write these pretty lengthy descriptions of where we we're at because a lot of the sites were really close together, like a bunch of bulkhead drains or something. So, um, you know, it was really a pita, a pain in the, as you may know. <laughs> that was so smooth. <laughs> there is better technology available. Although less humorous than my drawings. And like the Garmin's are another little handheld GPS units. What's on our phone are great, but the accuracy can be really variable, which is why we had to supplement our location information with such lengthy descriptions and my sweet, sweet drawings. Right. Around 2005, I was actually able to get a grant for the county that included the purchase of two new Tremble Juno GPS units, which at the time were pretty like... They had like a little touch screen on them and fancy. They were they're a little fancy for the time. They're definitely quite outdated now, but you could create data dictionaries in those with fillable forms based on the specifics of that project requirement to collect your location information. So you'd get the lat longs from the tremble units and tremble units um, are higher accuracy than like the Garmin's are. And you could also take a photo, which would then be linked to that GPS location and you could have standardized kind of forms that you filled out so you got similar information from one site to the next nice jen maybe you can tell us how gis was used in victoria's number two problem <laughs> well i know that they did use marine maps to determine where to sample areas around victoria for fecal coliform hmm. but so kind of similar to what i had used it for them right so mm-hmm my use of, with that equipment is a little outdated you know what people mm-hmm. are using nowadays for collecting gps data well, GIS professionals are still using mapping grade GPS units like the yellow tremble units you may have seen. There are a lot of new versions now that are just like a little uh, puck type device that connects to a tablet or phone via Bluetooth. Is that some kind of hockey reference because we're talking about Canada? <laughs> Not intentionally, but yes. I love it. So you can create a much more user-friendly map or survey to use with it and like with apps such as Esri's Collector or Survey123, but you can still get the accuracy you want. They're still mapping grade accuracy. If you don't care so much about the locational accuracy or if you already have your feature map, but you just need to collect additional information about it, you can still use those apps to collect data. So read more about different GPS tools available on our website, outoflifepodcast.com. And tell us more about how you use GPS in your work on our Facebook page. I bet after all of this poop talk, you're probably wondering how you might be able to be your own poop detective or water quality specialist. I am, actually. The Salish Sea is rich with environmental restoration and stewardship opportunities. From beach watchers to sound stewards and stream teams, these groups all serve similar functions While we are only going to highlight a few of these groups today, we have a list of additional groups that you can volunteer with on our website. So today we're going to talk about a few opportunities that will be great for cats near the Salish Sea in Washington. If your idea of volunteering is getting out and getting dirty, beach watchers might be just for you. Each beach watcher attends 80 to 100 hours of training. Wow. This is like college level training. That's pretty intense. And then you have to make a commitment to also provide 80 to 100 volunteer hours within the next two-year period. Wow. In Island County, uh, their program is called Sound Water Stewards, but it's based on the Beach Watchers program. Wow, that's, that's quite the commitment. Yeah, it really is. 
Each volunteer receives university-level training on topics like local geology and coastal <laughs> processes, forestry, birds, marine biology, water quality topics, the latest climate change science. Which Wait, that's not a thing. Had a report come out. Check out our Facebook page or our blog to read about climate change report. <laughs> Tribal and farming history. I feel like those are weird things grouped together, but yeah. Noxious weeds, native plants, salmon, shoreline regulations. Who doesn't love some shoreline regulations? Oh, yeah. They're so fascinating. I love rules mm, and regulations. Loves following rules. That yes. is accurate. Intertidal organisms and so much more. And there's a ton of like hands on field trips um, that happen as part of this. Wow, that sounds really cool. Right. And then in return for all this training you get, you're expected to volunteer a similar number of hours over a two-year period, working on research, education, and or restoration projects with partner organizations. It, it could include things like working on scientific surveys, serving as a field or classroom educator, supporting beach cleanup activities, conducting outreach at festivals, teaching about, I don't know, specific behaviors that help clean up Puget Sound. And so much more. And because there's so many different ways to volunteer, the volunteer hours add up quickly. And they really encourage people to find the role that inspires them and works with their lives. But the trainings have limited availability and there is an application process. And in some areas, depending on where you're at, there might be a material fee. Hmm. Whack fact. Some shooting stars are actually astronaut poop burning up in the atmosphere. Do you have more about that whack fact? Astronauts poop. And where do you think all that poop goes? They collect it up and then they like bag it up all together into like a big space bag. And put it on the moon? Uh, no, they just shoot it out the into space. And then it kind of sometimes comes and burns up in the atmosphere and looks like a shooting star. That's amazing. I did not know that. That mm -hmm. is a poop fact that I didn't know. I feel like I just what? learned something. <laughs> I can go home now. <laughs> Certainly a whole bunch of other options. Um, there are things, they're just kind of educational outreach events where you can go and like learn about specific topics. There are other programs like Snohomish County has a beach naturalist program, which only requires 20 hours of training, followed by 14 hours of volunteer um, shifts at education and outreach events. Hmm. Um, you can join monitoring. What? No. You can also perform monitoring with Stream Team of Thurston County, um, looking at things like benthic macroinvertebrates. Huh? Um, those are stream bugs, and they indicate health of the stream. Huh. Amphibian egg mass surveys. Yeah. Identify and map invasive plants. <gasps> Ooh, I want to do that. Shorebird population surveys, plankton monitoring at Bud Bay. So, I mean, just lots of different opportunities. Something for everyone. As you can see, there are many ways to volunteer. Environmental monitoring, restoring shorelines, um, staffing events, or simply by taking a shoreline steward's pledge. Visit our website, outalivepodcast.com, for more information. Hmm. So, there you have it. The end of our number two episode. <laughs> we hope you have laughed and learned your way through and that we have inspired you to make, make it, it out, out alive. alive. We spent most of today talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, poop and water quality. And 
let's remember that even if the water looks clear and clean, it doesn't mean that it is. Yeah, remember that CMP. Know where your wastewater treatment plant outfalls <laughs> are. And, you know, if it doesn't really provide treatment, just maybe think about that before you stick your hand in there, especially mm-hmm. if you're a germaphobe. Right. Kind of not good for you. <laughs> we also talked about a small citizen group known as Poop and Mr. Floaty, their mascot, who are pretty much my heroes. Um, mm-hmm. because they convinced the Canadian government to move their plans up and start treating the wastewater before discharging to the Salish Sea. Without their help, Victoria would have been discharging for at least another about 10 years from now. Wow. Thanks, Mr. Floaty and Poop. <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit about collecting GPS information and how that helps us identify monitoring locations. Um, and then lastly, we talked about how you too can get involved and try your hand at poop detecting or other water quality work. Nice. Please join us next time for crabs, how we got them and why we don't want them. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And then share our posts with <laughs> everyone you know. Please let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or on our Facebook page at facebook slash outalivepodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Will we make it out alive? Good night. Or good morning. Or goodbye. 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 Amy the Poop Detective out. Jen the Magical Mapper out. Later. Later. (laughs) 